The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. All right, you go ahead and find your seats. Um, while you're doing that, somebody just let me know that there's a red caravan minivan in the parking lot with the, the door wide open. Um, and uh, there may or may not be somebody selling tacos from it at this point. <laughs> so um, if they are, bring me one when you go to shut it. <laughs> Well, if you are just joining us for the first time in a few weeks, um, let me catch you up a little bit. We're doing this really important series called Deeply Rooted, Building on Our Calling. And it's all about the opportunity that we have as a church uh, right now to do something pretty incredible, pretty significant. And uh, we've, we, we've been talking about that for the past couple of weeks. We'll talk about it today and again next week, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll be done with this series. But... I just want to recap it, bring it up, bring it up to speed a little bit. The first week we talked about fruit. The idea being a tree that's um, not been planted can't produce fruit, but one that is planted in the ground and, and nurtured and given strength and space to expand its roots can produce fruit for generations of people. And then last week we talked about shelter and how a tree that is planted and deeply rooted can provide shade from the hot sun and maybe even a little bit of covering from rain. And that a tree ought to provide shelter, but a tree that hasn't been planted yet, that's just kind of been grown up in a pot or something, can't do that. And um, we've been talking about how artisan is a little bit like a tree in a pot. And that, that our opportunity right now is to become deeply rooted as this tree, as this church. We've also been doing uh, Thursday fasts throughout this series and so if you follow us on Facebook, I've been trying to remind you to do those on Thursdays. And it can be, again, any type of fast. Um, anybody has been doing Thursday fasts? Just kind of give me a little, uh, little hand raise. I see a couple of hands. Anybody who um, forgot it or didn't do it as well as you'd hoped? Yeah, my hand goes up with that. Um, this, is, this is normal when we try to do something important. Um, we forget. So uh, I can't call you all personally, but I will promise to put it on Facebook again. If you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, you'll see it. But um, I want to tell you some of the, the questions that I've received from, from you over the past couple of weeks. There's been one kind of category of question that I've received from a couple people, and I thought it might be helpful to, to say it out loud here so that you hear it too. Maybe you're thinking the same thing and just haven't spoken up. The question is this. Why do we have to buy the building? Because that is what we're talking about. Let me cut through the metaphor and say what we're talking about is buying our building. Why do we have to do that if we want to keep doing what we're doing? Why can't we just, you know, keep renting? And if, if, uh, if the owners of the building need to sell the building, maybe we could rent somewhere else. Um, maybe we could move a little bit. Uh, and I think that's a fair question. And uh, in a way, today's message, I think and hope, will address that. We'll answer that category of questions for all the other topics, you know, fruit and shelter, and uh, next week's topic, which is seed. 
Because it's really, what it's really about is artisans' longevity, or our potential for longevity anyway, and artisans' stability, which is today's topic. A, a planted, deeply rooted tree is stable. It's sturdy. It is strong. And the, the, the fact is, this is my honest belief, that if we don't buy the building and become more stabilized than we are now, and certainly more stabilized than we would be if we had to move somewhere else, that I don't, I don't honestly think we'll be around very much longer if we don't do one of those things, to, you know, if we, don't, if we don't get that stability. Um, and that maybe is uh, kind of a daunting thing for me to say to you, but I think it's the truth. Of course, the flip side of that is if we do all invest in this future together, that we will have not only the stability we would need to maintain what we're doing, which we all love, but also to do so much more. And that's why we talk about things like fruit and shelter, and next week it's going to get even more down to business with the question of doing more when we talk about seed. But without having this stability, and that's really the center of this metaphor, the whole point of planting a tree, taking it out of the pot and putting it in the ground, is that it's more stable. And all the other things can't happen without the stability. So in, in some ways, this is like the, the, the central theme of this whole campaign. So with those weighty words in mind, let me ask you again, as we have asked you in the previous weeks, and we'll do this again next week, to take a moment of silent prayer. And what I'd like you to, uh, to say in your silent prayer and then you can stop saying things <laughs> to God, is the prayer that I asked you to pray last week. Remember last week, in addition to the Thursday fast, I asked you to take one of those, um, one of those booklets and put it like in your bathroom mirror or on your dashboard or something like that. Um, somebody uh, took me out to, to get uh, a drink this past week, and, and I got into his car, and there were two deeply rooted booklets on the floor of his car. <laughs> I was like, I caught you. <laughs> and then I went home and got the one off my car's floor <laughs> and put it on my bathroom sink. But do you remember the prayer that I asked you to pray? Every time you saw the booklet, I'm a terrible example. Like, do as I say, not as I do. I'm like the Pharisees. Um, <laughs> do you remember what I asked you to pray every time you saw that little booklet? Simple prayer, God, what can I do? In this moment of silence, let me ask you to pray that again, and you may not get an instant answer. In fact, uh, if my experience is any indication, you probably won't. Um, but I want you to ask the question and take a minute or two of silence. Uh, and I'll do the same thing. And then we'll I have a, a really interesting scripture passage to look at today. So take a moment in silent prayer. Amen. What I'd like to look at today is a passage of Scripture that I preached on almost exactly one year ago, about a year and a month ago. We were in the book of Jeremiah. Do you remember when we did Jeremiah? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and we read this passage, which I thought was really interesting. I'd never read it before 
before that week, and it just came up in the lectionary, and uh, we were kind of forced to look at it. And we found something really interesting. What I'd like to do is look at that passage again today in light of what we are facing as a church. And I'll give you a little bit of background on what this passage is about. The, uh, the people of God had been rooted in the promised land for hundreds of years, and then uh, they divided their kingdom. They had a, some sons of a king had a disagreement. They split into two kingdoms, one which was really bad at following God and one which was only a little bit bad at following God. And the one that was really bad at following God was conquered by the Assyrians in um, 722 B.C. And then the one that was only a little bit bad... Uh, was conquered in 586 by the Babylonians. And just before that second conquest happened, this remnant of of Israel was um, living and stumbling around in the dark trying to serve the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah started to tell them, "You you are forsaking your God, and as a result, you are going to be conquered by this Babylonian horde. Called them the Chaldeans synonymous with Babylonians. And the king of Israel at the time, the king of Judah at the time, didn't like this because, well, he was in charge and the prophet was basically saying, everything's wrong. And so the king arrested the prophet Jeremiah and he had him under this house arrest. And uh, it was in this setting that Jeremiah did something very peculiar. And you read about about it in uh, Jeremiah 32, I'm going to read verses 9 through 15. Here's what happened. Here's what Jeremiah did. He was under house arrest or something. It wasn't like solitary confinement because he was able to do a business deal while under arrest. Um, But here's what he did. Watch what happens. And this is on page 643 of these red Bibles if you want to use them. Jeremiah is speaking now and he says, And I bought the field at Anathoth from my my cousin Hanamel. And weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed on purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I charged Barak, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So Jeremiah is not only in prison, but he has been prophesying all along the destruction of the nation, the conquest of the people by this Babylonian empire, which was expanding and expanding. And right in the midst of that prophecy, that doomsday prophecy, he decides he's going to buy a plot of land, which seems just ever so slightly insane to me, doesn't it? If you were sure, if God had told you to tell the people, you know, that the city of Rochester was going to be overrun by zombies or, or Babylonians 
walkers, either way. Um, if God had told you, and you believed him enough to go shout it at, at a bunch of people, to the point where you got arrested, would you then buy 10 acres of land in the city of Rochester? That would be kind of silly. Um, but that's what Jeremiah did. And I want you to notice what happens at the end of this passage. In the last two verses, verses 14 and 15, this is what's on the screen behind me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, the, the, the documents that certify this transaction, and put them in a jar. He says earthenware jars. Put them in a jar so that they may last a long time. In other words, these deeds are going to need to be here for a long time. Why? Because someday in the future, in spite of this conquest that's about to happen, houses and fields and vineyards are going to be bought and sold in this land by these people. In other words, this is a promise that the people are going to come back. That the conquest, the exile that they're going to be sent out into will be temporary. Which is, a, that's an amazing promise. Especially coming from the lips of Jeremiah, who's been so adamant about prophesying against the nation and against the king that he's been put in jail for it. And here's what I think is the most important thing to look at for this passage for us today. When does the promise occur? Only after Jeremiah does what? Buys the land. <laughs> he has paid out his money in front of everybody. He has signed the deed. He has signed two copies of the deed. Only after he has trusted God enough, because if you read ahead, you see that God is telling him ahead of time, this is going to happen, and I want you to buy this land. Only after he has put his money on the barrel head <laughs> and signed his name on the dotted line, does God give the promise, does God explain why he asked Jeremiah to buy this plot of land? I'm sure to Jeremiah it was good news. Like, oh, okay, phew. Because <laughs> real estate futures under the conquest of Babylon are not very, look, looking very good right now. It's kind of a poor investment. I should have bought gold. <laughs> but doesn't that seem to be how God works? It's true for, it's true for Jeremiah and his little business deal. I think it's true for every one of us with our own finances. I think it's true for every one of us when it comes to something as basic to Christianity as the faith that we have to muster to believe that this is true. It seems like you only get more from God when you give more than you think you can. It seems like you, you, you have this... Let's, Let's give, I'll give you an example that my grandmother used to tell me all the time. My grandmother, um, this old saint of the church, she's a, she's a die-hard tither, okay? In other words, she gives a tenth of her income to the church before she does anything else. And she told me once about this time when, when she had spent the, the money down for groceries and all the things, and... and her paycheck came in and she had to pay for some of this stuff. 
And then she had the choice of paying her tithe or of doing a car repair that was absolutely necessary to do. She couldn't get back and forth to work without the car repair. And she said to me, Scott, I, I was so tempted to pay for the car repair first. Now, this is, a, this is an old grandma. She doesn't, you know, credit cards do not enter into the equation for this woman, um, as they shouldn't, in my opinion, but we'll get that some other time. Um, but she said, ever since I was a little girl and I got my first dime, I have given 10% to the church, and I, I'm not about to stop now. And so she paid her tithe, and then just like it always seems to happen, you hear these stories in the church, she got a check in the mail the next day from, from somebody who you know, knew that she was in trouble and needed to pay her car repair. But, but the check didn't come for her until she wrote her own check, right? And she, she told me that story all the time, and I've heard so many like it. It's almost like God is not going to provide for you until you trust that he will and demonstrate that, that trust. I found the same thing is true in my own life of faith. And I'm not sure I can explain this in a, in a great way in the amount of time that I have, but um, at times when I have personally struggled with doubt, with, with having a difficult time believing my own Christian faith, it seems like as soon as I let go of all this wrangling and just take one little step and don't give up, you know, demonstrate to God that I'm not giving up just with some little thing. It's like it just pours out all of a sudden, like this reassurance. I hear from God all of a sudden more than I have in weeks or months. And, I, and, I, and, and, and at least for that period of time, the doubt just fades away. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> It's like God is standing there ready to give you what you need. But he's not going to give it to you until you give up what you think you can control in your own life. Think about that for a minute. I want to shift gears and move from what is a very spiritual topic to something that's just purely practical. Now, those of you who've been around here a long time know that I think that's a false dichotomy, that I think the practical informs the spiritual and the spiritual informs the practical, and we waste so much time trying to, to keep those two things separate from each other. But, but, but fine, we'll, we'll just kind of do this anyway. I, I want to talk about some practical stuff, specifically related to, our, related to our topic, which is stability. Now, when I was sketching out this series for our capital campaign, this deeply rooted series, I went back and forth on the title stability probably 10 times. Should I include it at all? Should I call it something else? What do I do with this topic? Because the word stability, let's face it, I mean, it's really not that motivating. Last, the first week we talked about fruit, and I was like, I can get people excited about fruit. We all love apples. It was the day after Cider Days. Like, we can get fruit. <laughs> and last week with shelter, it's like, you know, people understand how this church offers a place of shelter and safety spiritually for people who are on their journeys and, they, and they're struggling. But stability just, just doesn't have the same zing. <laughs> it doesn't have the pop as the others. And I... 
in addition to that, I worried a little bit that if we talk too much about stability, does that kind of start us thinking about, well, being stuck, <laughs> being immobilized, being trapped? Because let's face it, you have a tree in a pot, you can take that sucker anywhere. You can do whatever you want with it. Maybe I'll put it over here. Maybe I'll put it over here. Maybe I'll plant it in the backyard. Maybe I'll plant it in the front yard. Maybe I'll take it to my grandma's house and plant it there. You can do whatever you want with it. As soon as you put that thing in the ground and let it grow and let the roots go down, it's not moving. Trees are not modular that way. And so maybe I was worried, if we talk too much about stability, people will hear that and think, well, if Artisan does that, if, they buy, if we buy our building and, and put our roots down so deeply here, what, we're kind of trapped. Like we can't, then we could never go anywhere else. And then maybe we'll just kind of get stuck in a rut and we'll, we'll be, you know, frozen. And I fought myself in my mind about this and I came to this realization. It's a realization that I need to come to personally in my own life, probably daily. And it's this. Anytime you decide to do anything, you are also, in the moment of that decision, deciding not to do a bunch of other things, right? Remember, when, if you, those of you who went to college, when you decided on a major, well, that's kind of a bad, a bad example. You all, we all changed our major a dozen times, right? But it's a pain, isn't it, <laughs> to change your major? Once you've, once you've gone in that direction... Like for me, it was trying to decide between whether I was going to go to a music conservatory or whether I was going to become a pastor. Um, and I had to choose one school or the other. Like there's really no doing both. I had to go to New Hampshire or Rochester. And here I am. When I chose to um, beg my wife to marry me, <laughs> let's look at it from her perspective. When I asked her to marry me, She's, she had to think to herself, this is it. <laughs> I better make sure this guy is okay because there's no other guys. <laughs> right? That's a choice. You married, that's it. You decide you want to have uh, frosted mini wheats for breakfast, you can't have life. Right? <laughs> well, you could have two bowls. <laughs> but you see, all these have your cake and eat it too kind of things... They mess you up. Anytime, anytime you try to do anything worth doing, it means you're, you're, you're giving up on a, a whole other range of possibilities. You take a step on this path, you never know, and you never will know, and it may haunt you the rest of your life, especially if you're a person like me who likes to have every option open until the last possible second. That's life. And so if you're a little nervous about Stability equating to immobility, welcome to the existence of humanity. And I had to come to that in my own heart, and so I wanted to share, share that with you in case you're like me and you, you think that way. Some of you don't think that way, and, and really, you're, you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> Life is a series of decisions that close doors the end. And at the end of the day, stability is really a crucial concept for us to understand as we're thinking about this campaign.
And like I said earlier, it is really the basis for all the other topics. And so we had to keep it in. You know, the past two weeks, we've had our friend the apple tree sitting on the stool next to me. Anybody notice this when you came in? Did you miss the apple tree? Um, remember I, I showed you the dead tree that had been in a pot too long the first week? Um, this is the pot. <laughs> the dead tree is out there. This is the pot that it was in. And I think this pot is kind of a sobering reminder of, uh, of what becomes of trees that don't get planted. To keep running on this practicality track, let me, let, me, let me say something a little bit more sobering. Anybody who pays attention to the news and the economy over the past few years knows uh, that the new F word is foreclosure. And we probably all know somebody who has lost a home in this economy. Uh, if you don't know somebody personally, you hear it on the news all the time. What you might not know is that over the past two or three years, there's been a record number of foreclosures happening on churches. Kind of makes sense if you think about it, but probably you never thought about it. Churches have been foreclosed on by their banks more often in the last two years than ever. And uh, as a matter of fact, the reason that we're all sitting in this room right now, the reason that we have this building as our church home even as a temporary rental situation, which is what it is, is because the church that built this building, and I hinted at this last week, came to the point several years ago where they couldn't pay their mortgage anymore. And so they had to close. So it would be perhaps unwise to think Blindly, that this is, could, never, could never happen to us. That we would always be able to pay our bills. Now, I'm not going to get into numbers too much here during these sermons. I um, just don't think it's appropriate or probably even very helpful. But we've run the numbers, and what we, what we know is that if we purchase this building with no additional money added to what we have already, we could probably pay the mortgage month to month. It'd be very, very close. And it would not allow for any um, emergencies or improvements to the building. And uh, this roof that you see over our heads would have to last us longer than it probably will. And so the reason we're doing this campaign, the reason that we are asking of each other to give above and beyond what we are already giving or for maybe for some of us to give something for the first time, is <clears throat> because we purchasing the building with the, with the mortgage, taking on a mortgage with no extra money down, would be no more stable than the situation we're in right now as renters. If we want stability, and this is our goal, we need we need to put some money onto this loan that we're going to take out. But let me give you the flip side of that because I don't want to be all doomsday. It's not just that we could get by a little bit better. I want you to think way bigger than that. For a long time leading up to this campaign, I was thinking about what could we do to, just to get by? What's the minimum amount I could ask of these poor people so that we could just get by? And it was, at, at some point, 
it was almost like God opened my brain just way wider and said, you are thinking too small. What if we paid off some or a lot or all of the mortgage that we take out over the next couple of years? And then all that money that we would be spending to, to pay our bills, our mortgage bills, we could put that into new ministry, into bigger ministry that we're already doing. Any of you who have taken the Financial Peace University course or have done any kind of intentional debt reduction, do you know that, that feeling that you get, you start looking at these numbers and you think, wow, if I paid off my car, that's $250 a month that I would all of a sudden have. What could I do with that? Well, how many guitars could I buy? <laughs> um, I want us to think that way as a church. If we paid down this mortgage, how much more ministry could we do? How many more people could we reach? How many more meals could we give to the homeless? How many more collection tanks could we build in Uganda? How many more uh, people could we fit into an expanded sanctuary to, to share the good news, to be a shelter for people? That's the way I want you to think about this. Not just what can we do to get by and be stable um, just so we can make it, but what can we do to get by and become so stable that we can do stuff that we, we're not even imagining yet. So obviously there's some risk involved in taking out a mortgage. If you don't think that debt is risk, you don't understand what debt actually is. But we want to do this in a way that's, A, wise and, and responsible, but he, maybe even more importantly than that, in a way that, that allows us to blossom and to become so much more than what we are. Because it would be even worse to be, to, to be complacent, sit around, and to assume that we'll always be here and whatever. Because when you think about ah, the future, whatever, the future owns you. And we want to own the future. We want it to be the other way around. So if we never took any risks, never made any bold moves, I don't think we'd be around very long. This is our bold move. Artisan Church lives or dies based on what we decide to do in the next few weeks. That's, that's the truth. And I realize that sounds a little bit dire. But you know me. I'm an optimist, right? <laughs> so I can't talk doomsday for very long before my head explodes. Also, I'm a pastor, which means that I am, uh, literally, it is my job to tell you good news. <laughs> and so I do have some good news. <laughs> so shift with me again, back from the, from the practical, back toward the spiritual. And I want to talk about the spiritual side of stability, just for a minute. Because everywhere in the Bible that it talks about stability, and the biblical term for stability is usually um, being firmly established. If you look in your concordance, that's what you'll find. Everywhere it talks about stability, the source of that stability is the same. The source is God. Let me give you just two very quick examples. One from the book of Jeremiah, earlier in the book than the passage we just looked at. 
And I'm going to omit some words. And then we're going to go back and find out who this is about. It starts out by saying, blessed are those who, dot, 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 they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So this metaphorical tree, and it couldn't be more fitting for what we're talking about, is true of whom? Blessed are those who what? Does anybody know this verse? Who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Here's another one for you. Psalm 92. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap, showing that what? This successful, healthy, metaphorical tree that the righteous become, what does that show? Well, what the passage says is it shows that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So those who are like a tree planted by the water are those who put their trust in the Lord. And when you do put your trust in the Lord and, and, and start to bear fruit and have green leaves and sap and all the things that healthy trees have, what you are showing, what you are demonstrating to the, the world around you is that God is faithful and righteous and upright. And that's spiritual stability. Our faith in God on a community level. And I think we need to do that. I said last week, this is going to require us to muster all the trust and faith that we can in God. But it also needs to happen for each of you on an individual level. And on a family level. Because what God is calling us to is actually a pretty scary thing. It's generosity and personal sacrifice on a scale that maybe we have never experienced before. Because, again, we can have all this trust and hold hands and sing songs and hymns together. Um, but unless those of us in this room, as individuals and families, make significant contributions to this campaign, it's, it simply isn't going to work. Um, and giving a really big gift of money... Uh, on the spot, up front, or giving a, a sizable amount uh, as a monthly pledge or a weekly pledge over the course of two years, which is the, those are the two ways we're asking you to give here, that's, a, that's kind of scary. And if you're going to do that, it's going to require you to step out into darkness just a little bit. It's going to require you to have faith in God's provision, not only for our church, but for you and your family. This campaign asks each one of us to make an investment in a stable future for our community of faith, just as Jeremiah did when he bought that plot of land right before the exile. Now, thankfully, we are not, I hope, going into exile. <laughs> We're not about to be conquered by Babylonians or zombies or anybody else. But we do need to make an investment in, in our community's future. And that's harder than you sound, harder than it sounds, because if you think about it, the future is not stable until after you make the investment. Remember Jeremiah's situation. He had to step out in faith, put those shekels of silver on the table before he even knew the promise that God would make that someday 
You're going to come back and plant, house, plant, <laughs> plant vineyards and build houses and things. And we're in the same boat because we don't know. I could give, if I wanted to give money to this campaign, I don't know if anybody else is going to do it. <laughs> and maybe it's not going to be enough. And then I haven't given them, I've given the money and nothing is stable. So it doesn't work until it starts to work. God doesn't provide for the community until the community steps out and trusts that he will do it. And it requires that selflessness that I talked about earlier. Planting a tree under, under whose shade you, you may not sit. But the very act of doing it is what ensures that there will be a future. It's like this, this circle that you have to just punch your way into. And it's going to require us to jostle ourselves loose a little bit from our own sense of self-reliance. Um, but that's the only way it's going to get done. And if you hear nothing else, hear this. I so honestly believe this based on my grandmother's witness and everything else that's happened in my life. God will not ask you to give more money than he will provide for you to give. And I, the sentence that just came out of my mouth sounds so trite if you've been around church for, so, for, for any length of time. If you've ever been in a church that, that does fundraising and asks for money and any of that stuff, they say that. I can't help it because I believe it's true. And so you have to forgive me for the cliché. Each week in this campaign, we've talked about the one response, the one action that I would like to ask you to take. And I, I have one in mind for you. But before we get to that, what I want to do is show you our video again, because I know some of you weren't here the first week, and this video is really wonderfully done. And um, if you haven't gotten a chance to see it, I want you to see it. And this video shows, this is the kind of community that we're asking you to invest in. This is the, this is the, the, the present that will become an even bigger and greater future if we're successful in this campaign. So let me show you this video now. What kind of church is this? Artisan is such a comfortable place. You gotta come to this place, you won't believe it. It doesn't feel like a place where you can just get lost very easily. It's just a really exciting thing to think about a place that is ours. It's so important to have a place that we can come to, that we can call home. As soon as I walked in the doors of Artisan, it was just the most amazing thing because I'd never gone to any church ever in my whole life where everyone was so accommodating and nice and just and, and welcoming. That's what I like about Artisan. Whenever I walk around the city, I always stop to look at these big old stone churches, churches that have been there for a hundred years. And I always find it so inspiring I think about how these churches, these people have been sharing the love of Jesus with their neighborhoods since before my grandparents were born. And it makes me think, what will Artisan be like in a hundred years? What kind of fruitful ministry will we have done in that period of time? How many weary spiritual travelers will have found us to be a place of shelter? And will we be ready at that point to go for another hundred years? And what kind of new ministries and maybe even new churches will have started, will have sprung up 
as a result of the ministry that we've done. One of the things that really appealed to me about Artisan is just that it's not just within the, inside the four walls of the church, but they really live out the message of, you know, the teachings of Jesus, going out into the community and trying to do the works of Christ in other people's lives. Reach really encouraged to be the church and not just come to a building and um, to also be a part of the greater Rochester community and even just uh, to really, you know, blossom as a, a community of believers, people who are really wanting to come together and, and serve together. All the incredible ministry that happens outside this building, whether it's serving the poor in our own city of Rochester or whether it's building rainwater collection tanks in Uganda or doing development and missions work in Asia, none of those things can happen if we don't have a strong base of operations right here, if we don't have a building where we can start these ministries and sustain them. When I came in 2007, I was having a crisis of faith. I never really had anyone be so direct with me. Someone who was just genuine, didn't really want to judge. But I come to this church because I know that people won't judge me and will just allow me to be. Um, Artisan, I feel, is very, uh, very welcoming to people who are at different points in their journey. There was no that proverbial finger in my face. It felt um, very safe here. I could just come and express my doubt. And it feels good that I could share my faith with my family for what I think the first time in my whole life it felt really good to have them receptive and open to it. I, I fully support, you know, Artisan's vision of being really firmly rooted in this community. I see a really long-term future here with um, us and our family and our friends and our life. We do need a place to come and gather in this building. This place has become home for us. And it's just the most amazing thing to know that we get to be in that environment and, and never have to worry about, well, we should probably, we are going to move or we have to go somewhere else or, but to know that this is the place that we know that we can be as a family and grow as a family with the community of the church. We need to be reaching out to the community, reaching out to other people. You know, I think continuing the mission of the church, it just makes sense that we invest in that. I went to a church and said, you guys have to come, and they did never happened before, never, because I felt so good about it, I wanted them to know about it. Whether you're going to be here for a year or 20 years, but investing in this place because the, the work that we put into it, the effort uh, that we put into it really has eternal uh, results. I want us to be here for the next century. But I don't believe that that can happen unless we become deeply rooted in this place where God has called us to do ministry. The next step that we have to take is to purchase this building, because if we don't have the building, none of the ministry that we want to do, none of the ministry that God has called us to do can happen. And so what I would say to people who have made artisans such a part of their lives over the past several years, who have encountered God in this place, is that this can't happen without your generosity and your sacrifice. And so, please, seek God. 
Listen for His voice and consider what He might be calling you to do to be part of this great opportunity that we have to be deeply rooted in this place today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. So that's, that is the future that we're looking at. It's both an extension of and an expansion on the present that we're living in now. And so let me, let me tell you what I'd like to ask you to do this week. The first thing is to continue our tradition during this series of doing a Thursday fast. And again, this doesn't have to be fasting from all food all day on Thursday. You can fast from certain types of food. You can, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to skin that cat, so to speak. Um, the second thing that I'd like to have you do, if you're willing, is to have a family meeting. Those of you who are parts of families uh, who come here, if, you're, uh, if you are um, coming here on your own, then your version of that might be uh, an intentional time where you go and maybe you go to a cafe or something and somewhere quiet and you, and you sit and, and sort of think and pray through this. But have a family meeting. Have, a, have an important moment where you talk together about what you think God is calling you to do. Uh, and specifically, what you think God is calling you to give. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to come with a, with a, a signed check next week. Um, we'll talk about how that gets shaken out uh, next week, but you don't need to bring it next week. But I want you to think about it this week. I want you to talk about it this week. And so for that to happen in my house... We have to put something on the calendar. And I don't mean just, yeah, we'll do it on Thursday. I mean, like, we have to say we are going to do it on Thursday at 4 p.m. and we're going to go to Starry Nights and we're going to have um, Anna watch Abel for us while we do that. You know, hi, Anna. <laughs> are you busy Thursday at 4? No. <laughs> um, that's an example. Um, but have a family meeting this week. Will you please do that? And... Um, We've got a, a bunch more of those booklets. <laughs> We're never going to run out of them. There's some on the table out there. If you don't have one yet, please take one. In fact, if, if, if I could have a couple of volunteers who would just uh, bring a bunch of those and like stick them on a chair just outside the sanctuary while we're doing these next couple of songs, that would be great because I'd love you to have one. If you don't have one yet, please take it. If you don't have two yet, please take one because <laughs> uh, you want to put one somewhere where you'll see it. All right. Um, my apologies, I've gone a little bit long this morning. We're going to cut one of our songs and we'll get you out of here on time today. Uh, but I, I hope that you can see where, where my heart and passion is coming from on all this and that, the, that this concept of stability is really at the root of everything that we're doing, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> it's the most important concept that we, that we look at. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God in whom we can place our trust, and we ask for the courage required to do it. Trusting that when we step out in faith, you will be right behind us, giving us the strength, giving us the support, and caring for us and providing for us. Help us to trust that, that we can't outgive you, that we can't um, outfaith you, that 
whatever we're willing to believe, uh, you are there and big enough to fulfill it. God, we pray that you would make this dream of our church come true, that you'd provide for our needs as a community as well as as individuals. Be with those families and individuals this week as they uh, get together and talk intentionally and pray together about this. Speak to them by your Holy Spirit and make it clear to them what you're calling them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to worship God in song together this morning. The communion table will be open. If you're following Jesus, this is the response to God's word that we indicate you should take every week. And you can come and tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice and uh, receive that as an act of remembrance of Christ's love and sacrifice for you. If you'd like to get your children and have them be involved with that, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, Otherwise, you can go get them right after you take communion. Um, But let's worship together a little bit more this morning before we go.